Augusta, Georgia, 1990, a Sunday in March. It was 66 degrees and there was no rain. That week, Janet Jackson's Escapade hit number one on the charts. The most popular TV show was The Simpsons, and Jeanette and Danette Milbrook were home with their family. They were faced with a problem, how to get to school for the next week. You see, their family had just moved from their home on 12th Street in downtown Augusta over to an apartment in Jennings Homes on Cooney Circle. Danette and Jeanette were 15 and twins, but in different grades, and they were now at a new school district. They'd be allowed to finish out the year at Lucy Laney, their old high school, but their bus would no longer pick them up. Their mother, Louise, didn't want them walking all that way alone, nearly three miles one way, but she didn't have money to give them for a week's ride on the city bus. So they called their godfather, Ted, who lived in their old neighborhood, Bethlehem, and he agreed to supply the $20 they'd need. They decided to walk to his house to retrieve it. The twins' 12-year-old sister, Shantae, asked to come along, but they said no. Why? Probably because they were 15 and she was 12 and the walk was long. They weren't alone very often. Maybe they wanted that time. They were supposed to be back by dinner time. They left at three, and after they made it to their godfather's, they visited their cousin Juanita and asked if she'd walk home with them. She often spent the night, but her mother, who was worried that they'd still be walking at nightfall, said no. Then they went by the home of their older sister, Asiander. They asked her to walk home with them, too. And that was strange, considering that she had just given birth. She wasn't up to it. Asiander got the distinct feeling that they didn't want to walk alone. But they had to. She didn't see them walk to the pump and shop convenience store on MLK and 12th, but the clerk there, Miss Gloria, did. Like so many others in this story, she knew those girls by sight. She was the last person to see them. They bought chips and sodas with the extra money their godfather had given them. He'd wanted them to have a treat. And then the clerk looked away for a moment. When she looked back, they were gone. And for the next 27 years, it would be that way. Danette and Jeanette Milbrook, missing. Does the story start there? Maybe. But maybe it starts further back. In the South, nearly everything starts with water. We have the coastal plain on one side and the Piedmont on the other. And this geological feature causes a stark divide. There are four cities that make it up, Macon, Milledgeville, Savannah, and Augusta. Augusta sits on that fall line, land and water, and straddles two states. It's many cities. There's the Masters Golf Tournament and all that endless green, and then there are the neighborhoods where the recession never truly left. Bloomberg reports that Augusta's median income is 30% below the rest of Georgia, and that of Georgia's 159 counties, 105 have a lower poverty rate than Augusta-Richmond County. Many parts of Augusta shine, but there's also an underbelly of sex trafficking, drugs, organized crime, all the things that plague any city that becomes a destination. Augusta has the masters and perhaps crimes are played down for the sake of tourism. After all, people go missing everywhere from small towns to big cities and some make the news and some don't. So it's worth noting that a few weeks before the masters, Jeanette and Danette disappeared. There were no articles published in the paper, and if they were TV clips, they've been lost to history. The local stations no longer keep their video archives. We do know this, though. Twins don't go missing every day. When they do, it makes the news. In the few cases of twin abduction that have taken place in the world, like that of Alessia and Livia Ship from Switzerland, the media takes notice. The Shep twins have had a lot of coverage. They have their own Wikipedia page. 
But for Danette and Jeanette, there is no entry. There are no documentaries, no videos, no BuzzFeed Unsolved. There's nothing prior to the case's 2013 reopening by a newly elected sheriff. That announcement stirred a bit of interest. Three articles appeared all in August, but then there was nothing again. In 1990, the assumption was that they were runaways. There were no Amber Alerts, and for 15-year-olds, less urgency. The Augusta Police Department, which at that time had not yet combined with the Augusta Sheriff, dealt with an average of 70 runaways a month. And according to the Augusta Chronicle, 95% of those cases were cleared. Most of the kids came home, and some were found and placed within the system. There was a single investigator assigned to all the runaways. He had no children of his own, and when we finally tracked him down, he expressed a marked distaste for those he was assigned to find. But runaways are children who send signals, small and large. They send signals that things aren't right. Based on our extensive research, those risk factors cannot be found in the home of the twins. They had a tight-knit family. They rarely went out, and they were considered to be homebodies. They had, despite reports to the contrary, no criminal records and no major traumas. They received no phone calls the day that they disappeared. To the best knowledge of their family, they had no boyfriends and no problems at school. Jeanette had a cat named Jennifer who she loved and wouldn't leave behind. Jeanette needed daily seizure medication. The area they lived in had its share of crime and crime against women and children. There's Tiffany Nelson, the nine-year-old who disappeared in 1994 on a bike ride and whose body was found in 2005. Throw a wider net and you have Henry Louis Wallace, who, though he committed most of his crimes in North Carolina, also operated in South Carolina and Georgia. There are the human remains found in Augusta, South Carolina. That's just over the border, tucked right against the bit of Augusta that belongs to a different state. They were all black women and young. Only one, Jackie Council, has been identified. There are the series of Augusta rapes and murders that some of the time likened to the work of Jack the Ripper. And there's the man who committed them, Joseph Patrick Washington, who died before he could stand trial for all the crimes. There are a lot of scenarios, but no one has unpacked them for Danette and Jeanette. People have offered to help, but they've been transferred, they've quit. One even passed away. A fault line. Without an investigation in 1990, there has been so much forgotten and so much more that's hard to prove. Like the stories about Bethlehem heard from the twins' family and friends and neighbors, of rapes and attempted rapes behind the old cotton compress about the dangerous shortcut that ran behind the pump and shop, about how grown men chased preteen girls down the street, about the neighborhood exhibitionist who haunted their yards and rumors of lovers laying violence and bodies discovered in the mishmash of swamp and lake they called the Brickyard Ponds, about the twins' violent biological father who had a history of abuse. Stories are passed down the line and changed, but they're similar in their essentials. And we don't have a social media trail to follow, or a 48 Hours expose, or a Nancy Grace interview. But we do have their family, Shante Sturgis, Louise Sturgis, the twin younger siblings, who have been looking for answers for 27 years. We have the Richmond County Sheriff's Office that was full of black mold, the police department not yet absorbed, that was overworked and understaffed, the lack of resources for teenage runaways, the flood-damaged paperwork, the closing and combining of all their departments, the uncertain location of closed files. Most importantly, though, we have Danette and Jeanette. Any investigation must begin with these girls, whose case was closed on what the Augusta Chronicle quotes as hearsay. It begins on city streets that are straddled by ponds and warehouses and historic churches and apartments and houses ringing a neighborhood called Bethlehem. It starts with children who are not children precisely, at least not in the same way Tiffany Nelson was, but they were kids. 
They watched reruns of 80s shows like Punky Brewster. They teased their younger sisters. Danette stood up for Jeanette, who was quiet and a little shy. They had friends and a huge extended family. They had the same arguments and makeups that any teenagers did. They didn't dress alike even as children, excepting the occasional holiday or school picture day. And they looked a good deal like some of their sisters, enough to sometimes be mistaken for them. They had regular sleepovers with their cousins, but rarely spent a night away from home. Their cousin Yolanda described them as good girls, girls who didn't know much about the rough streets, which she herself had experienced. She considered them lucky. She wished she'd had the same kind of relationship with her mother that Danette and Jeanette did with Miss Louise. So where are Jeanette and Danette Millbrook? It's hard to say, and even harder to uncover based on the limited information that is available. Their last name has been given an erroneous S in the media. There's incorrect mention of where they were last seen or the precise name of the street. Rumor has filled in some gaps, but not correctly, not as far as the family can see. The original investigator never looked for them, and that case sat closed for years as advances in science came that might have cracked it open. So we must start at the very beginning, March 18th, 1990, and that's where we'll go next time, a Sunday, when Danette and Jeanette failed to return home. Perhaps for them it ends in water, but perhaps there's some other line, a connection to an answer. After all, they were kids. Their loss should be shared, and so should the responsibility for it. Thank you.